Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. This morning's scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 18, and Paul describes his travails while building his new ministry. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful in my ministry. I have sent uh, Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will pay him back for his deeds. You also must be aware of him, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. 
The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me from his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May God's blessings be on the reading of God's word. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Jerry. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend in 2015. It was a critical moment in the new chapter of the movement for black lives. The murder of Michael Brown had taken place in Ferguson, Missouri just five months earlier. And activists had been in the streets there for every one of the successive 150 nights. On that weekend, a group of about 40 college students and their advisors and chaplains and campus ministers from across the Northeast had gathered at the New York headquarters of the organization I led for three days of movement building and activist training. You can imagine the scene, energy and excitement as groups of four to six students, mostly students of color, arrived at this mansion on the Hudson in New York, famous for being the site of organizing across decades. The movement for black lives was gaining momentum and we were there to strengthen it. In the storied national offices of the Fellowship of Reconciliation where Martin Luther King Jr. had been on the board and Bayard Rustin had been on the staff, framed photos of King and Catholic worker, founder, and activist Dorothy Day, and contemplative monk and activist Thomas Merton looked down from the mantle in the main room. As the national executive director, I opened the weekend with a welcome and remarks. And in describing the training for protests and direct action the students would receive, I said, how many of you have ever been arrested? The Fellowship of Reconciliation was known for activism, which included civil disobedience. In fact, when I interviewed for my position, I was shown several bookcases that held scores of notebooks of the redacted FBI files on the Fellowship of Reconciliation. Being arrested was somewhat of a rite of passage in that community, a mark of commitment to the cause. And yet when I asked that question in my opening remarks, the response was not what I expected. My words fell flat. I finished my opening presentation and looked around the room and the open and eager faces had shifted and were now impassive, more guarded. What had I said? I thought back to my words of the last half hour. I know what my intent was but something I said hadn't been right. Have you ever been in this kind of situation? When you thought you were communicating, but somehow it was off? 
In our scripture today from 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is giving a set of final instructions to Timothy, the young man he had been working with and ministering with, traveling with and mentoring. It's a different voice of Paul than what we hear in in Romans or Corinthians or Ephesians. It's more pastoral, more personal, more plaintive. It's a, it's, it's a voice that has led some scholars to think that this, this letter wasn't even written by Paul. It couldn't be Paul. This isn't Paul. But be that as it may, I want to hold on to the idea that this letter was written by Paul. Let's hold on to that possibility for a moment and hear again Paul's words. As the passage opens, we hear Paul saying what? He needs. Do your best to come to me quickly, he says to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas. Bring my scrolls and especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me great harm. This isn't the confident exhorting Paul we've come to expect, but still it could be Paul. Don't we all have many sides of who we are? Even if what we put forward most often is one side of ourselves, our our public side, it doesn't mean that there's not more we aren't sharing. Even the confident and courageous Paul had needs. Even the confident and courageous Paul had a more private side. I wonder what Timothy thought in hearing these words from Paul. Had he ever heard Paul step back from his driven church planting? Did Paul ever voice his needs so clearly? We know Paul's work was relentless, his adversaries many. In fact, he's writing to Timothy from prison. We can imagine it's cold. He wants his cloak. He needs his cloak. He needs his friends, and he needs his parchments. He needs support. He needs justice in response to the injustice that he's suffered from Alexander the metal worker. This is a vulnerable Paul. He may very well sense that he is at the end of his life, and he allows himself the space to say what he needs. He is being not just honest and vulnerable about where it hurts, but what he needs in response to the pain and suffering he is experiencing. Now back to 2015 on that Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Over dinner, our program director came to me and said, we need to make space after dinner for some real talk. She shared with me that the students and even some advisors had told her they had things they needed to say, but they weren't sure that there would be room 
for what they had to say. I said I'd welcome the chance to circle back and that I knew what I'd said had not been the right thing. And so after dinner, as we gathered back in the large room, our program director opened the space speaking bluntly and asked for real talk. She acknowledged that the trappings of this large building might communicate that it wasn't okay to say what one needed. And that the history of the organization, though racial justice activism had been a strong through line, was a mostly white organization and that operated from a particular experience of that activism. And that often the focus was on the success of the activism and not so much the pain that engendered the struggle. She said that what the students and advisors heard as we opened may not have matched their needs and their expectations and their experience. And that activism work always comes out of real hurt and real trauma. As we all sat in the large circle, one of the advisors, the Muslim chaplain from a college in, Bo in the Boston area, who was also African-American, said to me, you spoke of being arrested as if that's a good thing. Where I come from, it's not a good thing. We talk about L's, and he went like this. We talk about L's, losses, L's. When, someone's, when someone is arrested from my community, it's an L, a loss. We probably won't see that person for a long time. Probably someone has experienced violence, probably while being arrested. L's are painful. It was very painful to hear you talk about being arrested in that way. My losses are always with me. The chaplain's willingness to say what he needed to have his losses and pain expressed and acknowledged and hopefully respected opened our whole group up. Other students began to share what they needed from our organization, from the movement, from us, from each other. One student said, you can never know what it's like to live inside black skin but you can try, and your attempts are noted. In this one statement, she voiced her need for persons who aren't black to acknowledge that they can never fully understand the black experience and yet still give the attempt all that they could, all that we could. We sat with this real talk late into the night, sometimes just sitting for long stretches amidst speaking, and listening. What was needed was for the space to be made to ask, what do you need, instead of making assumptions about that need. Our assumptions filtered through grief or shame or fear or our brokenness can never lead us to the heart of another's need. We must ask. The question for today and next week as we continue to explore this series of I've been meaning to ask is what do you need? There are a number of reasons we might not say what we need. 
It might not feel like a safe space to do so. We might expect that people already know what we need. They usually don't. We might not want to be vulnerable. We might feel there is a norm in place that suggests we're all fine here. And I'm doing well. And in spite of a few challenges here and there, I've got all the, I've got all the balls in the air and all the plates are spinning. We need to ask. And why do we not ask? Why do we not say, what do you need? Too often we think that to ask implies that we have the remedy. And if we're not sure we have something to respond to the need, if we can't fix it, maybe we shouldn't ask. But this is not the case. The voicing of a need is not a request for a fix. It is first and foremost an act of being human. We all have needs. They are varied and come out of our own unique experience. The voicing of a need is a request for a response, not a fix, a response. Sometimes that response only needs to be a clear acknowledgement that the Need is real and heard, and sometimes the, that response invites an engagement toward how the need might be met. What we are being asked to do is to engage in the real talk of stating where it hurts and what would help, of asking where it hurts and what would help. And trusting the Holy Spirit, the great healer and connector, will mediate between us. It is in these moments that we see what grace comes to us when we are open to our need and open to others' needs. Hear these words again from Paul. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen, says Paul. God is with us, and God will carry us in our needs. May God also give us the courage to ask for what we need. May God ask, may God grant us the peace and compassion to listen to the needs of others. And may God grant us the wisdom and grace to help us respond as needed. Amen. Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.